Join me in your copy of God's Word this morning in Peter's first epistle. 1 Peter chapter 2 will be in verses 4 through 10 this morning. 1 Peter is toward the back of your Bibles, and uh, uh, as I did in the first service, I've also done here. I forgot to place my bookmark there, so I will find it there with you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. As we look at the third of five historic Baptist distinctives, uh, theological convictions that, that help inform who we are as Baptists. We saw two weeks ago the first of those uh, distinctives, those foundations, that, uh, upon which really all the rest of them hang, which is a high view of God's Word, that the scriptures that we hold in our hands and in our laps today, the Bible uh, composing the Old and New Testaments as God's inerrant and infallible Word is our highest authority for all things in life, especially for salvation and godly living. And that all that we are as followers of Christ, all that we are as Christians, all that we are as people living in this world that God has formed for His glory, all that we do is informed by God's Word and conscripted by it. We saw last week the second of our five convictions, which comes out of the first, which is that uh, the church of Jesus Christ is only composed of born-again believers in Jesus. And so also every local church, every local uh, representation of the global body of Christ should also seek to make sure that their members are only those who have given evidence uh, of, be- of, of new birth and a sound profession of faith in Jesus Christ. This week we look at the third conviction, historic conviction of Baptists, and that is the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers. Now, perhaps you've heard this uh, uh, distinctive uh, summarized a little bit differently or said a little bit differently as the priesthood of the believer in the singular. But really, it is the priesthood of all believers. Priesthood in, uh, 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 connotes a, a, uh, an idea of authority that rests upon an individual or a group. And if we're to say that if we believe in the priesthood of the believer, then every believer comprises a whole priesthood of God. And that doesn't seem to fit the picture that we see, certainly from 1 Peter 2, as we'll look in a moment, and the rest of Scripture altogether. But rather, all of us, the whole community of born-again believers, comprise a priesthood. We all share in the authority and the access that we've been given by God through Jesus Christ. Several years ago when I was in college, many of you know I worked for a, a local candy store, and for two or three years we had a kiosk out at what used to be called the Journal Pavilion uh, Concert Center, concert venue. I, I don't know what it's called anymore, but that's what it was when I worked there. That's what it'll be for the rest of my life. But we had a kiosk out there out of which we would sell caramel apples and fudge to concert goers and that sort of thing. And one of the great things about uh, working that job was uh, over the course of two different summers, I got to go see a whole lot of concerts for free. Because I was working, so I got to come in through the back way and uh, got to see concerts. And, and uh, some of them were good. A lot of them were terrible. But you can't do much about country music. It is what it is. But anyway, before I've made enemies of you all, uh, it was a great summer. And a lot of perks that came with, with working in a sort of tertiary way there. Now, I also found that there were other people that had greater perks and even greater access than I did at these concerts. You had some who would come in with a lanyard around their neck and a, and a little card hanging from it that said backstage or backstage pass. 
There were other people that, that had even greater access than them, and they had a badge that said all access. And these people were, were those that could not just go backstage and, and maybe see the talent as they you know, walked by or watched the concert from one of the wings of the stage uh, uh, on either side, maybe behind the, the curtain. Uh, but these that had all access were able to go back even like near the dressing rooms and, and, and have even additional access to, uh, to those performers and, and other parts of the venue. But then there was a third group of people that had even greater access than the backstage and the all-access pass holders. And these were those who held a crew pass. These were people who had a lanyard on it that, that said crew or staff. These were those that were often traveling with the bands and they were setting up the uh, uh, audio settings uh, there in the, the concert venue, they're setting up video stuff. They were able to go backstage and not just, not just see the talent, but actually tell the performers what they needed from them or what would, be, what would uh, uh, make the concert experience even better from their perspective. They had not just access, but they also had authority and responsibility to carry out a task. So it is with the priesthood of all believers. It is not a backstage pass or an all-access pass that we have to God. It is a crew pass. In being made priests of God, we have amazing access to God, but also significant responsibility to carry out on His behalf. The main idea that we will be exploring this morning from 1 Peter 2 and other passages of Scripture as well is this. The body of Christ, the church, is a fellowship of priests that carries out the ministry of God in the presence of God. How is this so? How is it that individual people of of any background, of any social status, can be called priests of God to minister in His presence and to minister His presence to the world? Well, it is so because of the good news of the gospel. It is so because God, even though in His holiness and in His power would be right to judge all of us for our rebellion against him in sin. He chooses in his love to send us a deliverer, a redeemer, a rescuer from our sin, who is Jesus the Christ, the very Son of God, who lived a life without sin, who gave his life on the cross in the place of sinners, and who was raised from the dead, victorious over sin and death, so that all who would trust in him as Lord, submit their lives to him as king of their hearts, trust in him for forgiveness of sin, in a right relationship of God, with God would have the Holy Spirit of God come to make his home in our very hearts. Amen. And since the very Holy Spirit of God makes his home in the hearts of those who are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, we each become temples of the Holy Spirit and priests of God. The body of Christ, the church, is a fellowship of priests that carries out the ministry of God in the presence of God. And as we explore this truth today, I want for us to come to embrace, to to hold on to, and and, and receive the responsibilities of being priests of God, and then to commit to carrying out these responsibilities with biblical faithfulness. Would you stand with me as we honor God by reading His Word? 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10. There the Apostle Peter, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, As you come to him, uh, speaking of Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to you to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The body of Christ, the church, is a fellowship of priests that carries out the ministry of God in the presence of God. This conviction has been part of what has shaped uh, Baptist life and theology and, uh, and, and our uh, heritage over the last several hundred years that we've existed. This conviction that every, pre, every believer, every uh, believer of Jesus Christ is part of this priesthood affirms two things for us. First, it affirms this, that all regenerate, that means born again, all born again Christians have priestly access to God through Jesus Christ, the great high priest. Now, this reality that we all have priestly access to God through Jesus is fleshed out most fully in uh, the book of Hebrews as we were studying uh, several weeks ago. Between Hebrews chapter 4 and chapter 10, the author of Hebrews is there fleshing out all that it means that Jesus is our great high priest who by his death on the cross for sins and his presentation of his life as that sacrifice once for all to God, he has become the great high priest that gives access to God for all who believe in him. And since all Christians born again by faith in Jesus Christ have access to God, we know that there is first no need now for human priests to intercede for us. There is no need for human beings, for clergy to stand between God and us. We can go directly to God through Christ with what we need. With the heart of the Christian as the dwelling place of the very Spirit of God, Dear friend, there is no need for you as a Christian to go through a priest, to go through a pastor, to go through a a bishop or a rector of a particular parish for atonement for your sins or to approach God. Now all believers have direct access to God the Father through Jesus the Son, and we comprise as believers in Christ a holy priesthood, Peter says. There is no need for human priests to intercede for us. But second, in light of this reality of access to God through faith in Jesus, we also know that there's no clergy-laity divide. All draw near to God through Jesus. Though God does call, and we affirm, does call and gift some men to give spiritual leadership as pastor shepherds, pastor elders to the church, God gives all believers, irrespective of uh, maybe a particular calling to ministry leadership in their life, He gives all believers the ability to come to Him directly through Jesus. The person and work of human pastors, the person and work of clerical priests, dear friend, cannot make you more attractive to God or more worthy of His grace. This is good news, because if you knew me and the sins of my past and the life that I have lived before, you would come to find that many of you have lived much holier lives before God over the course of your life than I have. I would be a bad person to make you more worthy of God's grace if you depended upon me. But praise God, you don't. 
In God's grace, he has called you to depend upon Christ, his sinless, perfect son, who lived the life without sin that none of us could live, who died the death that we deserve so that he would cause all of us, bring all of us to draw near to God through him. Jesus has done this. He has represented us. He has brought us to God perfectly and equally for all who call on him as Lord. There's no clergy laity divide. Uh, pastors and priests are not better than, regardless of what the church may call them, are not better better than any individual believer. We all draw near to Jesus, draw near to God through Jesus. And third, because born-again Christians have priestly access to God, we all come with confidence to God. It is one thing to consider coming to God with fear, and, and we should. God is holy. He is just. He always judges justly. He always does what is right. And knowing that we are sinners, there is a a certain amount of maybe trembling in our hearts that that coming to God face to face might inspire within us. But scripture teaches that those of us who have come to trust Jesus as Lord can approach God not with fear, but with confidence. Hear what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. He says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friend, do you find yourself in need of God's mercy and grace? Do you find yourself in need of God's help in time of trouble? Do you find yourself in need of a God who can sympathize with you in all of your weaknesses? Well, good news. You can approach the God who created you in his image that you might know, love, and worship him. And you can approach him not with fear, but with confidence as you come to him through faith, through trust, through dependence upon Jesus, your risen Savior. All born-again believers have priestly access to God through Christ. And this is good news because it means that in Jesus, you have access, you have permission, you have the, the, the authority to enter into a life-transforming relationship with God. This means on the one hand that all of us can come to God who transforms our lives. We can come to God directly to confess our sins. We don't have to go to a a human priest to hear our confession so that he can take it to God on our behalf. No, Christ has done that for us. Because Jesus is the one who brings us near to God, his superiority to human priests makes it so that they are unnecessary for approaching God. This access to God means, second, that we can know God's will for our lives. Do you desire to know what God wants for you to do? Do you need his wisdom in making decisions for your life? Do you need his direction for a certain choice or or whether to to move to a different place or place your children in this or that school or to uh, go after this or that business endeavor? Well, friend, you can know God's will for your life as you come to him through his word and through the help of the Holy Spirit. As you call upon Jesus, your great high priest, who brings you into the presence of God, you can know God's will. Also, the wonder of this privilege of having access to a life-transforming relationship with God is that this relationship and this access takes place in community, takes place in the context of other believers, of a holy priesthood that is composed of many others. Your interaction with God and the salvation that he has given to you, dear Christian, is meant to spill over into the relationships that you have with other believers as well. 
We are meant to marvel in the glorious reality that God is with us and that we are with Him in Christ. These truths, however, are often incredibly easy for us as Baptists who maybe have been acquainted with them for a long time, easy for us to take for granted or to take too lightly. Our familiarity with these truths can cause us to lose sight of how transformative they really are. The truth of Scripture is this, all born-again believers have priestly access to God through Jesus. Stop a moment, friend, and reflect on this truth. I don't mean that rhetorically. Really, reflect on it right now. Is the reality that you can come to God with unfettered, unprecedented confidence and access, is that not stunning? Does that not, does that not cause awe to well up in you? To wonder at this truth that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the supreme being of all beings can be known, can be loved, can be experienced by you directly without any intermediary. Friend, if you're tempted to take this lightly, remind yourself of what Christ offered to make it possible. If you're tempted to take this for granted, that you have access to God, Remember what Christ did to make this possible. He gave his sinless life for you. He did what was not deserved so that we might receive what we have not earned, but rather to receive a great gift of God, which is more than salvation. It is relationship, direct relationship with him. Friend, if you long to have this access, if you want to be right with God, if you want to be able to approach God with confidence and not with fear, you don't have that access today, I encourage you, turn to Jesus. Trust in Him, your great high priest who brings you to draw near to God. He is the only way to the Father and He is especially good at His job. The conviction of the priesthood of all believers affirms that all born-again Christians have priestly access to God. But it affirms, second, that all born-again Christians, all regenerate Christians, also have priestly ministry to fulfill. Those people with a crew pass out at the journal pavilion have a job to do. They don't simply get to stand around and soak it all in. They have tasks that they have been assigned with. So also priests of God in the Old Testament and in the New have tasks, have responsibilities that they've been given to fulfill. I've been helped in this way by a Baptist theologian, uh, R. Stanton Norman, in, uh, in under, coming to understand these roles more clearly. There are three roles that priests in the Old Testament, in the temple of God in Jerusalem, uh, were called to fulfill. And, and the three also apply to those who are priests through Jesus Christ. The first is that of service and sacrifice. This is the first of the priestly ministries that God has given to us to fulfill. Now, the, the larger part of the duties and responsibilities of priests in Israel in the Old Testament were to do essentially two things, to perform, on the one hand, sacrifices for those who were uh, seeking uh, forgiveness of their sins and atonement with God. That was a, a lot of what they did. But even more than that, the, the greater part of their duties were custodial, were janitorial. 
The, the priests were in charge of keeping the tabernacle and later the temple in its permanent form, keeping it clean, keeping it ready for service. They had to wash down altars, which were often covered with crusted over dried blood of sacrifices offered for sin. They had to sweep out the temple court and the holy place. They had to make sure that the the lampstand in the holy place was lit, that the showbread was out. Most of their job was janitorial. This is menial work. And yet these are priests of God that are called to sweep floors and clean altars. As priests through Jesus Christ, believers, Christians, you and I, we share in the same priestly ministry of service and sacrifice also. Verse 5 of 1 Peter 2 says, We are made to be a holy priesthood in order to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And these sacrifices are obviously not those of animal sacrifices for sins. Jesus' once-for-all death has put that practice to an end. But the sacrifices that we offer, the ways that we serve... Uh, God, or, or at least these. First, we sacrifice and serve with our lives. In Romans 12, verse 1, Paul says to the church at Rome, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Part of being called to be priests is to serve and to sacrifice to God with our whole lives, to to give to God all of us as tools, as vessels, as a means for God to work his redemptive purposes in the world. It is to say, God, my life is yours. Do what you will with it. We also serve and sacrifice through worship. Hebrews 13, 15 and 16 says this, through him, through Christ, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Our worship is part of our serving and our sacrifice as priests of God. When we gather here in this place as the church assembled week after week to sing songs that remind us of the gospel, to hear from God's word and to remind our hearts of the good news of Jesus together each day, as we pray together as a church, we are giving sacrifices of praise to God together. But these sacrifices of praise are not meant to take place only in the assembled body of the church when the church gets together for this purpose, but to live every moment of our lives in worship to him. We're called third as priests who serve and sacrifice to God to do only and all that is pleasing to him. Only and all that is pleasing to God. As priests of God, we don't get to determine what is pleasing to him. We don't get to determine what what work of service or what sort of sacrifice of our life is most pleasing to him. God determines that. It's his word that we follow. It's his priesthood that we are carrying out. It It is his definition of a holy life, of a pleasing life that we seek to live out. Does your life, does your service, does your sacrifice, is it that which is pleasing to God? Do you need help to know what is pleasing? Well, I would turn you to Galatians 5, 22 and 23, where the Apostle Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit, that is a life that is filled, a life that is guided, a life that is directed by the indwelling Spirit of God, bears this kind of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against things like these, Paul says, there is no law. There's nothing in God's character or in God's law that prevents you from living a life full of these things. So if you want to know how to serve, how to sacrifice your life to God in a pleasing way, do it that way, full of the Spirit. 
with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As priests of God, we've been given the responsibility of serving, of sacrificing for God, sacrifices of praise, sacrifice of worship, serving with our whole lives. But also, we've been given the responsibility of declaration. In the Old Testament, priests in the temple were responsible for reading, teaching, and declaring the written word of the Lord to the people. We see it taking place in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, where there Israel has, has just finished rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem after returning from captivity in Babylon. And there the priests, all together with Ezra the scribe leading them, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. It was part of the job of priests to make sure that the people understood God's word to them. And so it is for priests of the new covenant, priests through Jesus, that we are called to the ministry of declaration as well. Look at Second, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. There, Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Here he's citing what God has said Israel will be to him in Exodus chapter 19. The church is that now too. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God calls us, Christian, as priests to declare his excellencies. A declaration of the word, declaration of the excellencies of God is at least four things. It is first centered on the gospel. The word we declare to the world is a word of hope in Jesus Christ. It's centered on the gospel. The gospel defines our preaching. The gospel shapes our Bible study. The gospel shapes our praying and our relationships at home. The gospel shapes how we speak to people who are not yet believers. And it is the gospel that we want to get to believers. So our declaration of the word of God is first centered on the gospel, but it is also outward to the world. We are called, as Peter says, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We go from darkness to light as we hear the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed to us. And as the Holy Spirit changes our hearts and we respond to it in faith. And so as those who have been saved to proclaim his excellencies, those who have been saved from darkness to light, those who know the light and the life that there is in Christ, we've been called to declare that to a world still in darkness. It is an outward declaration. But friends, also it is an inward declaration. It's centered on the gospel, it's outward to the world, and it's inward to ourselves. We will never, as followers of Jesus, even as priests of Jesus Christ, we will never grow old, we'll never grow, grow beyond our need for the gospel. It changes us every day. It changes us week by week. It's why from this place every Sunday, I remind us of it because we need to continue to live in light of it and have our lives changed by it. So we declare, we have the responsibility of declaring, not just to the world how we may be saved, but to remind ourselves of how we have been saved and what it means to live in light of it. We do that certainly as we come together to study God's word. And as we hear those uh, like myself preaching from the word of God to us, reminding us of what the gospel is and how it changes our life. But we also remind ourselves, we also declare inwardly the hope of the gospel when we come to the Lord's table to take the Lord's supper together on a regular basis. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that as long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death until he comes. 
He is saying, church, as often as you take the Lord's Supper and remember his death and resurrection for you, you are reminding, you are declaring to yourself of all that Jesus has done in your place until he comes back again. We are called to declare the word of God that is centered on the gospel, outward to the world, inward to ourselves, and then in relationship with other believers. The lost world out there, you as an individual, are not the only ones that need to be shaped by the gospel. So also are every other believer that we are surrounded by. Called to a community of faith, a community of priests who carry out this priestly ministry of God's presence in the world. We're called to do that to one another also. Praise God, this is happening in our church on Wednesday nights with our grow groups, with children and students and adults, where we have children that are hearing the word of God and being reminded of the gospel. Some of them have already made professions of faith. Some of them not yet. The same with our students and with uh, adults as well. We have two women's grow groups and two men's grow groups who are coming to the word of God together each and every week, who are shaping one another by the hope that there is in Jesus, who are calling one another to accountability and to a, a life. That, that shows the excellency of him who has called us from darkness into light. This is a part of our priestly duty to help other believers grow in maturity and obedience to God as we declare the gospel to one another in relationship. Those who have been born again by Christ, called to be a part of his holy priesthood, have the responsibility of service and sacrifice, the responsibility of declaration, and also the responsibility of intercession. The responsibility of intercession. In the Old Testament, priests were responsible for interceding in prayer for the people, for taking the needs of the people to God, for taking the sins of the people to God, representing them in all that they needed to God. As priests through Jesus, all born-again believers today share in this same ministry of reconciliation, of, uh, of intercession. We intercede to God on behalf of others in several ways. First of all, for needs that they may have or that we may have. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, Paul does not write this to priests or to pastors only. He writes it to the whole church. Whatever you need, bring it to God. Do you know someone else who's in need? Intercede for them. We're also called to intercede on the behalf of others. Matthew 5, verse 44, Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for, intercede for those who persecute you. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, Paul says to the young pastor Timothy at Ephesus, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high places, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Romans 10, verse 1, Paul says, Brothers, it is my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, for his kinsmen, the Jews, that they may be saved, that they may come to know Christ as Savior. We are called to intercede for others. Now that word for in every place, pray for your enemies, pray, uh, or pray for those who persecute you, pray for all people, for kings, pray for those who don't yet know Christ. That word for in every place means on behalf of which means God does not call us as priests to the world, priests of Jesus Christ, to pray against people. We're not called to pray against those who persecute you, but to pray on their behalf. We're not called to pray against kings and all those in high positions, but to pray on their behalf. 
We're not called to pray against those who don't yet know Christ or won't or refuse to receive him as Lord. We're called to pray on their behalf. We're called to pray for their good. This is a hard thing to do. But God in his word has made us for this. We're called to intercede for the needs we may have. We're called to intercede on behalf of other people, enemy or otherwise. And we're called to intercede for one another as Christians. In James chapter 5, verse 16, the brother of Jesus says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Brothers and sisters, we need the spiritual help and help of intercession from one another. When we're struggling in sin, God's word calls us to confess that to other believers. Not because our confession of sin is better heard by them and carried to God. No, but because we need that accountability. We need that encouragement that we have been saved to carry out in community together. We need the prayer of one another because sometimes in our our sin, sometimes in our backsliding, we struggle to really pray as we ought to. And God has given us a family of faith to intercede on our behalf when we struggle. All those who have been born again by Jesus Christ have priestly ministry to fulfill, ministry of service and sacrifice, ministry of declaration of the good news of God to a dark and hurting world, ministry of interceding through prayer for others. This means for us, friends, that through Christ, you have been given divine responsibilities to fulfill. You've been given divinely ordained tasks to carry out as a follower of Jesus. And this, friends, is not a drudgery, but is meant to be truly delightful work for us to do. These are meaningful responsibilities that God has given to us. It is true that God does not need our service. But he has made us to find our greatest satisfaction when we give ourselves in total worship and faithful service to him. It is true that God could have made known the excellencies of his glory and salvation any number of ways in the world. But he has deemed it best to show his strength through the weakness of vessels like us who declare the most powerful news that that the world can hear. It is true that God knows every need before we have even thought it, much less uttered it to him. And still he calls us to pray to him, to ask for his response, to seek his care, to plead for his help in the lives of others, because God delights in showing that he is compassionate and responsive to the hearts and the needs of his people as they seek him. Dear Christian, you have been given amazing unparalleled access and divine responsibility to be a minister of God's presence to the world. It is not for a special class of Christian. It's not just for those called to be pastors, called to be teachers. It is for you. So be grateful. Be grateful to God for the privilege of drawing near to him and find your delight, friend, in serving him in declaring his excellencies to the world, in interceding on behalf of others so that as priests of God, we may all together bring his presence to fill creation. Fellow Christian, how have you come to see your position on the crew of God's priesthood? How have you come to see the access and responsibility that you have to God this way? Perhaps you view this gift only as a backstage pass. 
And you've relegated the responsibility to others to perform. And you, you hope as a Christian only just to, I just want to catch a glimpse of God as he comes around a corner somewhere. Or just simply be, I just want to be a special spectator, maybe from a different perspective on his work in the world. Maybe you've come to see your position on the crew of God's priesthood uh, with all of the entitlement that comes with an all-access pass. Perhaps you've been trusting the blessing of God's presence with an attitude of arrogance, without humility, and, and without a desire to serve Him and His purposes and His people. Expecting your access to God that, that He'll respond to your beck and call whenever you please, because after all, you're a priest, right? I've got that all-access pass. I encourage us Christians, and I include myself in this, to come to see the privilege as being conscripted to a crew, called to a task, a crew that receives unprecedented access to the creator of all things, but who also have responsibilities to fulfill as representatives and ambassadors for God. Christian, we need not abuse this privilege, but use it for God's glory to use it, each of us, and in community together for mutual upbuilding and for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world. We have been called to this. God has made us, His chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God and to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. We who were once not a people are now by God's grace a people. We who had once not received mercy are by Christ's death in our place and his resurrection and faith in him, recipients of mercy. Let us go in the authority of Jesus and do likewise for the world. Let's pray together.